0: Open up your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 7. If you're still learning your way around the Bible, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament starts with Genesis. And so there's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and 2 Samuel, 1 Kings. It's like the 11th book of the Bible. So in 1 Kings, there was this famine going around where the people of God were, where the, where the people of Israel were. There's this famine taking place, and they can't, um, you know, it's, it's just they're starving. The people that are starving, they, that even things that we would consider disgusting looked appealing because they were so hungry. And there was a prophecy that came through that said, hey, look, man, by this time tomorrow or something like that, that, that there's going to be plenty of food and, and all this stuff. That prophecy was given out. And so as soon as that prophecy is over, before all that's taken place, we're going to pick up there. And for, in 2 Kings, I said 1 Kings, 2 Kings 7 says this, says, now there were four men, verse 3, now there were four men with leprosy. Now, again, leprosy was a disease that if you got it, it was like a death sentence. It would just eat away, you know, your appendages and different things like that until eventually you died either alone with or in a colony of people that had leprosy. But there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die, they asked each other. We will starve if we stay here. But with the famine in the city, we will starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. So at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Arameans. But when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. The king of Israel has hired the Hittites and Egyptians to attack us. They cried to one another. So they panicked and ran into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, and everything else as they fled for their lives. When the men with leprosy arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after another, eating and drinking wine, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and hid it. Finally, they said to each other, this is not right. This is a day of good news, and we aren't sharing with anyone. If we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. Come on, let us go back. And tell the people at the palace. So they went back to the city and told the gatekeepers what had happened. We went out to the Aramean camp, they said, and no one was there. The horses and donkeys were tethered, and the tents were all in order, but there wasn't a single person around. Then the gatekeepers shouted the news to the people in the palace. So I want you to think about it for a minute. These four men, they had leprosy, and they're sitting outside the gate. I imagine that they were required to sit outside of the gate because of their leprosy. But they, you know, they finally came to the conclusion. They said, we can sit here, which is, they were familiar with that. It's the life that they'd lived. But they said, we know the outcome of this. Or, you know, we, we can go into the, into the city and we know the outcome of that. They said, the one thing that we haven't considered doing, and that is, is not doing either one of those, but leaving the familiar and stepping out. Now, here's the reality of it is, is that whenever we have those moments that we step out into the unfamiliar, it gives us an opportunity to trust God. And at that point, we put, our, we put the outcome of it in God's hands. We trust Him with the outcome of it. Now, again, I know that in here, that all of us, that there's areas of our life that God's dealing with us on, different things that He's dealing with us on. You know, some things are very public things that He may deal with us. It may impact us from a geographical standpoint or from a relational standpoint, or those type of things that, you know, it just says something that, about that. Others, it's a private issue, and that is that it's, you know, that only the people that are close in our circle are aware of it and know about it. And then some things are secret issues that, you know, that only you and God know about it. And, and those are the ones that, I mean, all of them are powerful, but those are incredibly powerful because often at some point they're manifested on the outside as to what that looks like. But these guys right here, they had to make a decision that were they willing to let go of what they knew And step into the unknown, which means they trust God with the outcome. Can can I be real transparent with you? That in my life, I'm old enough now that I've had those moments where I've done that. And I'll just be real honest with you that there have been times that I've done that. I've stepped out and I've trusted God. And even though it's taken me to where God wants me to be, it hasn't always been comfortable. It hasn't always been easy. There are times that there's been a struggle in it and a challenge in it. Sometimes it's been painful. My flesh has been like, man, I don't like this at all. And then when it's all over, I recognize God's hand in taking me, not around that place, but through that place. There's been other times where I've said, okay, I'm, I'm going to step out here. And, and the place that it's taken me to is, is a place that, you know, again, sometimes the journey's been a little easier. But still on the other side of you recognize, okay, God's hand was in this. I, you know, I know when Tina and I got married that we were so different. I, I didn't get married till I was almost 28. I was 27 at the time. She was 23, so some of you that thought maybe she was in junior high when I married her, that's not true, okay? She's not, she's not 20 years younger than me. She's only four years younger than me. But you um, say, How, how'd that work? I'm just good to her. And you're like, man, she must be mean to you. Well, we'll talk about that later. So, so, but she was just always, she always had kind of a more, when we first got married, more of an adventurous spirit. She was willing to take risks, you know, when she was 17 she moved from California to this area to go to Bible school. She was just more adventurous than me. I was, I was just kind of a secure guy. I just liked security. And so uh, when we got married, I'd only lived in three houses my whole life, three places my whole life. Our first years of marriage, we lived in five different houses. I'm like, this has got to stop, man. I feel like I'm on a roller coaster, and I, I'm just, I have no drama mean on me, and so we just got to quit right here. But the truth of the matter is, is that there was something about her willingness to to let go of the familiar. That had I not married somebody like that, had I not married her, then my life would have looked considerably different. I I would have had a job that I would have stayed at. It would have been secure. I would have made it through the seasons of life. But I would have never lived to recognize and see the fulfillment of the gifts that God had given me or the things that he called me to do. But because of her willingness to step out there, that it pulled on me too. What's wild is our life... As we got older, that an element of that became more on me and some of me became more on her. Like, you know, I've told you before, whenever we were in Clovis, New Mexico doing student ministry, and we, you know, been through the hard places, kind of paid a price to get where we were, that we came to a place where, you know, that things are good and it's easier, and then I go in and say, look, I think we're supposed to go back to Claremore and, you know, back to where I grew up at and start a church, and she asked silly questions like, how will we pay our bills, you know, and things like that. And I gave her an answer, I said, With money, And she's like, no, no, I mean, where's that going to come from? And I'm like, you ask the silliest questions. And so, but, you know, just those challenges. But I know this. I know this. For us to be used by God, that there's got to be this willingness to let go of the familiar. See, the problem is we begin to put our trust in it. That it becomes our place of security. It becomes a place that we run to and the place that we hide. That... For God to fully use us that we've got to be willing to let go of it. You have to be willing to let go of that so that he's leading. So that he's calling. So that he can tell you. So, you know, even some of you that, are, that go to church here, this, is, this was unfamiliar to you. Some of you, it was hard for you to come to a church like this because it's not how you grew up. It's not what you grew up with. You probably still struggle. I know a few weeks ago, Jake closed with a hymn, and some of you were ready just to go to heaven right then, you're like, Jesus could just come back now, and I'll just go to heaven, and so, you know, yeah, you don't have to clap, we know who you are, so anyway, it's, (laughs) but for you to come here, you had to do that, and and, and because not just, not just that there were things that God wanted to do in you, but there are gifts that he wanted to use in you as well. So God calls us to do that. That, you know, it's sometimes we hate what what we're living in, the thoughts we're living with, the, the things that we're dealing with, the, the places that we stay at, you know, it, not just physically, but emotionally, attitude-wise. But it's familiar. And we don't know if we let go of it where it takes us. But for us to recognize everything that God wants to do. In us, and through us, and for us, we have to be willing to turn loose of that. So number one is this: is that you have to be willing to let go of the familiar. Look at number two. If you would go with me to Hebrews chapter 11, you're in the Old Testament. Hebrews is in the New Testament. So the New Testament starts with Matthew. So there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. You'll keep going. Romans, First and Second Corinthians. Keep going. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Keep going. 1st 2nd Thessalonians, 1st 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. The book after Hebrews is James, so Hebrews chapter 11. Some of you are familiar with Hebrews 11. It's what I would call the hall of, hall of faith chapter. It talks about these men and women that trusted God in their everyday life and with the things that mattered to them and what God did with those things and how he controlled and determined the outcome of it. And so in verse 8 it says this, It says, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed God when God called him to leave. Everybody say leave. It says, by faith Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. Now listen to this. He went without knowing where he was going. In other words, God called him to leave, and so he began to make steps, and somebody says, where are you going? He goes, I I don't know. I'm just going where God's leading me. Where is he leading you to? I don't know. See, part of the challenge in my life, and I think we're the same, is that whenever God calls me to do something, I want to know the whole story. I want to know the whole picture. But because he's called me to walk by faith and not by sight, he doesn't give me the whole picture. He just gives me the next step, the next thing. And so as I follow him with that, then as I continue to go, he continues to reveal things step by step. And I learn to trust him in every step that we take. And so, you know, sometimes it takes faith to stay. You're like, man, when is this ever gonna happen? Is it ever gonna take place? And, and God's like, just be patient. But right here for Abraham, it was it took faith for him to go. It says, even when he reached the land, God promised him he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents. And, everybody say, and, and. and so did Isaac and Jacob. In other words, his son and his grandson did as well, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there is no way to count them. What I want you to see is that even though when he said yes, it took faith for him to leave, But then it says that the way that he lived, that also Isaac and Jacob lived that way. And then later on, he had generations of stars. You know, there were generations of people that were like the stars of the sky or the sand on the seashore. And here's what I want us to understand, man, is that our yes resonates. Our yes echoes. It's more than just our life that it impacts, it impacts our circle. And I put down here in our notes that our yes to God resonates to our children. Your, re- your yes will resonate in your life, but it echoes to your children as well. It echoes to that right there. You know, I, I know, you know when we talk about parenting, it's always a scary subject because the truth of the matter is, is none of us are perfect parents, right? Can all the parents say amen? Amen. 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 You know, and so, you know, you never want anybody to think they're up there telling people, well, hey, we made things so well. No, man, we did a lot of dumb things. And so, you know, the, there were things we, you know, you look back, you're like, I wish we did this better, we could do this better. And the truth of the matter is is that you're always their parent, whether they're 3 or 30, you're their parent. And your role changes, but you have input and, you know, and, and you know, you want to help them and that kind of thing. But even that's, you know, that role is different as time goes on. But I know when our kids were little that one of the things that we said in our home was that there was going to be one of the things that was going to be a yes for us. And that is our yes was going to be is that we go to church. We go to church every Sunday. Now, when I say that... You mean you never miss a Sunday? I mean, you, not many. We miss some, but not many. And that was just, and so you say, did your kids ever fight you over it? No, because they grew up knowing that if you live here, this is it. There was never a time that I think one of them looked at me and goes, I'm not going to church today. You say, how do you know that? Because they're still alive. And so, I mean, <laughs> but, it, they, but you know, they didn't. I mean, and, you know, and the beautiful thing about it is we've got you know, our, um, our our oldest son, David, he and his wife, Kyla, are up here. And I love them, man. They're raising my grandkids. Now, their yes is resonating for their kids. They're in church. They serve. And they do all those things. I'm grateful for that. Our daughter, Ashley, you know, she lives here. She's our children's pastor. And then, and then, you know, the guy that she married, Jake, is our worship leader. She married well. David married well. And so, but I'm grateful. You know, Jake's. I'm glad that she married a good worship leader. I'm glad that I wasn't able to break that relationship up, even though I tried. And so... Uh, <laughs> now we really love Jake. If they ever divorced, we'd get Jake in the divorce. And so um, you say, what about Ashley? She'll be fine. And so, but, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that yes that we had, that it resonated with them. They go to church. And their yes is going to resonate with their kids. That it will be a part of their story, part of their legacy, part of who they are. He well, church shouldn't be a big deal. You can go to church and not be a Christian. Well, I guess. I, I can be married and not go home, but it makes my marriage better if I do. <laughs> most days. <laughs> so, so, what's your, your yes? You're saying yes to something. We're saying yes to something. What's going to echo in your kid's life? I love the movie Click. It's an Adam Sandler movie, like his last good one. And, you know, he had a remote control in there. I think that's what it's called, Click. And so in it, his decisions began to reveal his destiny. And somewhere along the way, he wanted to blame this thing or that thing, but just it just tells the truth that, that our, our choices are our destiny. They take us someplace. And, and the reason why choosing to let go of the familiar Saying yes to something. The reason why that matters so much, the reason why it was so important that Abraham was willing to go to a place that he didn't even know where the ultimate destination was that God was taking him, was not just for him, but because his yes echoed in the, son, in the life of his son Isaac and the life of his grandson Jacob and in, their, in Jacob's kids and their, and their kids and grandkids. It's no small thing to say yes to God. It's no small thing by saying yes to him that you're saying no to something else. I've I've fallen into the trap before of things that I know I should be doing, saying to people, I really don't have time. When the truth of the matter is, if I was going to be honest, I would say this it's really not a priority to me. What are you saying yes to? If you're like me, there have been times in your life that the reason why you haven't said yes to God yet is because it's going to require you to let go of something. To say no to something else. And sometimes when you're saying no, you may be misunderstood. People may not like it. But our yes echoes in our life. When you say yes in your public life, It becomes obvious and evident immediately. When you say yes in your private life and those close to you, they may see it immediately. When you say yes in your secret life, it may not immediately show up but it's the one that I think has the most opportunity to have the most influence and power on the direction that your life goes. I've seen that happen in in the negative effect when I've been hurt or wounded and I've made what I call secret vows. That in my anger and my pain, I swore that I would never do whatever that is again. And it's caused me to harden my heart. And God's had to deal with me and let pride get through. And let those things just kind of come crashing down as my heart got soft before him and tender before him. It says this about God in the the gospel of Matthew. That it says that he sees in secret. One, One translation doesn't just say he sees in secret. It says he is in secret that secret yes resonates where eventually it becomes a private yes and then eventually it becomes a public yes. But it echoes in our life. It, it reverberates from us and impacts those around us, our kids, our grandkids, those that God has put in our circle. It's a powerful, powerful thing. And we have to take account and look into the things that we're saying yes to today. Are these the things I want echoing in the life of those close to me, of those that I love? Do I want this to echo in the life of my kids? Do I want this to echo in the life of my family, of those that are around me? Abraham's yes impacted his life immediately, but it was such a powerful yes that it impacted generations to this day generations are being impacted by Abraham's yes. Yes, when it's surrendered to God, yes, God, I'll do what you want. Yes, God, I'll let go of this. Yes, God, I'll I'll apologize. Yes, God, I'll forgive. Yes, God, I'll I'll let go of that. Yes, God, I'll take a stand. Yes, God, I'll serve. Yes, God, I'll, I'll let go of this and pick this up. That yes to him is a powerful powerful thing it it resonates beyond my life into the lives of those around me that i love into my kids lives into your kids life your yes to god is powerful our yes to god resonates to our children let's let's close with this go with me if you would to Joshua chapter 3 it's in the old testament it's the sixth book of the old testament genesis exodus leviticus numbers deuteronomy joshua now, Joshua was mentored by Moses. God used Moses to lead the children of Israel out of, out of bondage, out of slavery in Egypt. And so he was a great deliverer. He was mightily used by God, and Joshua followed him. And when Moses spent time with God, Joshua would spend time with God. And then eventually up to point, sometimes Moses would get to believe, and Joshua stayed there. Well, eventually, Moses' race was over. He passed away. and. And God spoke to him. He said, don't be afraid. He said, just like I was with Moses, I'll be with you. And so you're the one that's going to lead the people into the promised land. And so he begins to give him instructions. And so as they're getting ready to get close to it, uh, in Joshua 3, verse 2, it says this. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Move out from your position of fallen. Now, the reason why this is so important is because in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant is where the presence of God dwelt. And the priests, the Levites, there were 12 tribes in Israel, and and each one of them got pieces of land that was theirs except for the the Levite tribe, the tribe of Levite. And the reason why is because, the Levitical tribe, and the reason why is because their inheritance was the things of God. They oversaw the temple. They took care of all of that. And so they were going into the promised land. And so these Levitical priests were supposed to carry the Ark of the Covenant in front of the people. They were supposed to lead it where God's presence was. They, they carried that. And so it says this says, three days later the Israelite officers went through the camp giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Remember, they say follow. Follow them. Follow them. Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about a half mile behind. Everybody say behind. Say a half mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. He said, "Look, man. He said you've got to follow God's presence into this place because you've never been there before." And I, you know, he said. You know, stay this distance behind him. And there are probably so many reasons, but I think one of the reasons why he wanted to do it is he wanted to make it clear they needed to see that they, if they're going to get where they want to be, that they've got to follow God. You know, sometimes in my life I want to get ahead of God. How about you? I'm like, there. Come on, Lord. You know, let's let's go, man. Will you hurry up? Or or sometimes you know I want to walk right beside him and try to give him instructions. The best way to do what's next. And so you know, and, and so. But he said, I want you to keep this distance so that it's clear that, that you're behind him. I heard one minister say one time, he said, it's always better to be a little slow than to be too quick. He said, because if you're too quick, you can get out ahead of God. But if you're too slow, at least you're still following him. You know, we're going to do a series on parenting. And I, I, love, I love the, the uh, situation when Jesus was 12 that his parents and the rest of the family took him, I think, to Jerusalem. They, they went to Jerusalem and, and so the, then, when they were through with their business, they left. And about a day later, they realized that Jesus is not with them. I don't feel like such a bad parent now. <laughs> my, yeah, a whole day. They've gone a whole day. My, my kids will talk about the times that they were left at school and Clovis, like, hey, you forgot us? much left us there. You know what, it meant? It meant they had to walk seven minutes home. <laughs> and we were just left there to be on our own. What happened? We had to walk home. How far was it? Seven minutes? Yeah, it's nothing. I mean, it wasn't like our day. We walked uphill both ways. So, I mean, you know. So, but Jesus' parents, man, they, they left him. And, and so, finally, they're like, hey, have you seen Jesus? Nobody had seen him. So, so then they had to go back. And I find it took them three days to find him. I, I've wondered what Mary and Joseph's conversations were like. Because I know what Rick and Tina's would have been like. Why weren't you watching him? Why? Well, I thought you were watching. No, I was making sure that you were doing what you were supposed to be doing. And so I could see just, you know, three days later they find him. And the truth of the matter is I think sometimes that's a picture of what we do is that, you know, we're with Jesus and all of a sudden we just kind of keep going. And after a while we kind of look around and it's like, have you seen Jesus? Well, last time I saw him, he was, he was back there. And so we have to go back to that place that we saw him and go, I got out ahead of you again, didn't I? He goes, you did. Sometimes it takes me a little while to find that place. Because I quit following. And I go back and he goes, let's just stay here a while. Why don't you wait? Okay. Leave when I leave. Okay. If we're going to let go of the familiar, we we have to let God lead the way. I want to get in a hurry. I want to get out in front of him, and he's like, "Wait, wait," and and I've got to make sure there's enough distance that I that it, there's no mistake about who's leading who. Because I've never been this way before. I, I told you, you know, when I first got in youth ministry, I I felt so uncertain, I felt so inadequate. I can remember just spending time praying like, God, don't let me fail. I, I have these students' lives, their spiritual lives are hanging on whether or not I'm able to do this or not. And someday they're going to get married and have kids, and the impact I have on them will have impact not just them but the kids that they have. Don't let me fail. I just felt so inadequate. And I remember one day this couple was getting ready to enter into youth ministry, and I, was, I, I can't remember what the event was, but I was there, and they asked me, they said, would you pray for them? And I prayed over them, and I had a word for them. I put my hands on them, and I prayed for them. And this word came up out of, out of my heart, and it said this, tell them that inadequacy is a good place to be. So I told them that because I, I wanted them to know that that feeling of inadequacy causes us to be dependent upon him, upon his presence. It can be dangerous to get so comfortable where our gift becomes so developed that we forget how much we need Jesus to do this. That we get so comfortable in how we marriage that we forget that we need him to make this work In how we parent and how we serve and how we interact with those around us that we forget that we need him to help us in this. We can get so comfortable in that. And when I said that word, it was like the Holy Spirit brought that up back to me and wanted to remind me that that feeling I had that I felt like was a weakness, that it was a strength, and to always keep in mind that to do what he's called me to do without him, I am inadequate, and that to do it in an adequate way can only be done with him. Only with him can we see what he wants to do through us, in us and for us and so we have to follow him not get out ahead not walk beside but to follow him so we're able to learn as he leads us and go because we've never been this place before you know whenever we let go of the familiar you know part of the challenge again is that all, we don't know what all we're supposed to do we just know what we're supposed to do next next this is what's next. And so we have to take that step. And you say, what's after that? I assume when I take that next step that he'll show me what the next one is. And then as we follow him, then he begins to reveal his plan and his purpose. And he shows me once again that I can trust him. What is it you need to let go of? I think it's interesting in all of Jesus, not in all of them, but in so many of his miracles, only a few times is the name of the person ever mentioned. Most of the time it was the man with the withered hand, the woman with the issue of blood. And and the reason is I think they were trying to show us that person's identity when they had their first encounter with Jesus, this is who they were known as. So the very first place that he ministered to them at was in their area of their identity, and he dealt with them in such a way that that was no longer a picture of who they are so that they could learn to let go of it and follow him. I want you, just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. I know in this room that all of us have areas in our life that the Holy Spirit's dealing with us about. That there's something that he's wanting us to say yes to. What is that for? feel like most of us, you probably don't have to search very hard. It's probably something that comes up in prayer from time to time. And again, it doesn't even necessarily have to be a public thing. Probably for most of us, it is a secret thing, something that we have to let go of, something that we have to change, something that we have to notice, something that we have to surrender. But I want to give you a moment to spend time with God. My desire is that you say that your response to him is yes in such a way that in time it echoes in your life. It resonates with those around you and what God has called you to do. Let's just spend a moment with God.